Daniel Byers. Hey, Brian. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. <laughs> it's a cloudy day today. It's lovely. Which means that the day is going to be good. I feel like any cloudy day in the valley yeah. ends up being a way better day. I think you're right. The sunny ones. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, we'll take it, you know. Uh, cheers. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for the coffee. Yes, sir. So, let's go back. Grew up in Nashville. Yeah. Born originally in Durham. Okay. North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, my parents met at Duke, but I, they moved to Nashville when I was two. Okay. Then, so. so, no memory of, of Durham. Not really, but yeah. we would visit quite okay. a bit. Yeah. Uh, are you uh, siblings? Do you have siblings? Mm-hmm. You do. I've got three younger siblings. You're the, the oldest. oldest. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. My sister is 23, lives in Chicago. Brother, 22, lives in Nashville. And a brother who's 20 and is actually at ASU. Right oh, nice. Now. Yeah. Is he studying music? He's studying computer science, actually. Okay. He's a genius. Um, but he is a fantastic musician. As really? Well. Bassist, guitarist, singer. No yeah, shit. I could easily hire him for gigs and he, he'd do it. But you won't. I, well, I, <laughs> I, there have been a couple of times when I, like in the last few weeks where I've been like, oh my gosh, actually I, I might need really you for bass. <laughs> um, but he's so swamped with schoolwork. He's like, I can't think about this. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Bad timing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he actually came out. We hosted the jam last week okay. and he came out and played. Oh, cool. With us. So nice. Yeah. So I'm assuming growing up, um, there was a fair amount of music in the house. Yeah, do definitely. You, do your folks play? Yeah, so my dad was a uh, classically trained pianist um, and sort of, I mean, he was an excellent, excellent pianist. He could have been a professional musician easily mm. if he hadn't decided to um, go to medical school, mm. um, which is something that I talked to him about quite a bit. Um, as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you know what? My goal was to have a family and be stable and like support, you know, right. a unit and have like three kids and stuff. And, right. you know, I didn't, I wanted, you know, I liked medicine. And so that's what I did instead of music. Wow. But he, uh, yeah, he played all styles, but was, uh, was a really great classical pianist. So when you say classically trained he did he go to school for it or he took um lessons from age five or so till he Whoa. was 18 or 19 um and then continued you know to you know work in that discipline even while he was in school for biochemistry undergrad and then uh medical school and stuff he actually played um for like classical flautists uh recitals and stuff like that huh. at rice in houston uh-huh. um even though he wasn't a music major, they wow. have him, you know, be the accompanist That's right. for the recitals. Yeah. So he was, he was really excellent. So I'm assuming then also that it was kind of encouraged, you know, music Yeah. at a young age, you probably started to take lessons and yeah. Well, I actually asked, um, when I was three, uh, cause dad would play all the time and me as a little three year old, I was like, I want to learn mm-hmm. how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, tiny, um, And so the story goes, um, my mom like kind of shopped around to look for teachers who would teach a three-year-old and no one would like, they were like, no, wait till, (laughs) wait till they're four or five. Like, yeah, hit the pedals. (laughs) He's not even making conscious memories right now. Like there's no point in teaching (laughs) teaching piano, but, um, (laughs) 
My mom found a teacher who said, um, if he can read, I'll teach him. Uh-huh. Um, piano. And I could, I could read, uh, pretty early. And so I started when I was, uh, three, but mainly because wow. I just like would not stop hounding my mom and dad, mm-hmm. um, as a three-year-old to play because dad would play all the time and I just wanted to right. be like that. Yeah. So, okay. So do you remember any, any particular records that were inspiring to you kind of growing up or what was the music that was played in the, in the buyer yeah. household? I have a kind of interesting listening repertoire um, through my life uh, because a lot of it from age, uh, pretty much like from when I could start making memories, uh, to like five or six to age like 13, I would say is like the, <laughs> um, most of what I was listening to was like Christian contemporary Christian music. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a station 88.7 way FM in Nashville that was on the, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, that was sort of on in the car all the time. And I was just a little Christian boy, and that was what I listened to for the most part. It was largely Christian music, and then my mom really loved John Denver and the Indigo Girls and James Taylor. Mm. And then my dad listened to a lot of classical music and some jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, if I was in the car with dad, it was classical music. If I was in the car with mom, it was Christ- Christian music or John Denver. Right, right. Um, and so I missed out on a lot of like the pop music of my early H's. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff that a lot of people now like hear and they're like, Oh yeah, everyone knows this song are holes in my repertoire. Like huh. when I first started gigging, there were all these songs that were kind of expected that like, no, you know, this right. song, right. like you should be able to play this. Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. and I'd be like, I've legitimately never heard this song in my life. That's There's crazy. like a 10 to 15 year period where I was very much in this little hole yeah. of, uh, uh, nothing. But when I was a teenager and started actually caring about, you know, well, from my initial story, it sounds like I, you know, loved the piano forever. But from age like six or seven to age 12 or so, uh, I wanted to quit hmm. so badly. Hmm. And my dad was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it wasn't until age 12 or 13 when I started discovering jazz and also more like rock piano, um, pop piano Mm -hmm. stuff, uh, when I finally started to love it for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was also like it, that was kind of the age when it started becoming social currency in a way Yeah, when kids start to actually say like, Oh, that's really cool that you right. play the piano rather than it being like, Oh, this a, little a like, super drag. nerdy thing that you right. do on Wednesdays at 4 PM. Right. Um, and so discovering, uh, Billy Joel. Oh yeah. Huge. Was huge, huge, huge for me. Um, as well as Ben folds, um, and Jamie Cullum. Mm. Um, those One were three. Favorites. Yeah. Those were three of the, they, that kind of shaped, I mean, I went and tried to learn everything that they did because I was like, oh my gosh, I have a skill set that I didn't like, I didn't know that I could take the skills that I'd used classically, which I'd gotten so bored of mm-hmm. and then put it into a context where I was enjoying actually what I was playing. And, um, yeah, I learned all of the stranger, 
that whole album, the Billy Joel album, um, all of the pursuit, the Jamie Cullum album. Um, and then a lot of Ben Folds tunes, I would just, um, pull out and play all the time. It helped that he was still popular, um, really big at that time. Yeah. And so it was stuff that my friends were listening to as well. So they, you know, appreciated me learning it. Cause when we'd have sing-alongs, right, you know, right. in the, the middle school practice right. rooms and stuff like that. So, um, that's interesting. I feel like I also took piano for a couple of years, yeah. but the music that I was learning was not, I was not into you know, Bella Bartok. I don't know. Did you have to learn oh, yeah. Bella Bartok? Yeah, absolutely. Like, if I have to learn another fucking Bella Bartok yeah. tune, I'm going <laughs> to jump off this fucking bridge. But I think, you know, had I had, you know, and I loved Billy Joel, but I think I needed to see that it could be put in a pop context, you yeah. know, and I probably would still be playing. It's a, it's a great instrument. I love the instrument, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't learning the tunes that I was inspired by. Yeah. And that's when I picked up the guitar and I was like, I can play whatever I want now. You yeah. know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. But that Jamie Cullum record, well, the, the first one, um, spun me out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that was a huge favorite. Um, and I loved how, um, he would incorporate kind of the elements of jazz, but also, you know, on that record, he does a Radiohead tune. He does a, a Jeff Buckley tune. Absolutely. He does a Hendrix tune. I was like, Holy shit. Like, this is this is it you know yeah. this is how you this is how you should do it you know and that totally informed my playing and my taste and approach um we should put a band together and and, <laughs> and do jamie Collin tunes i would love that let's do it yeah he yeah he's a master and i yeah. don't think he got the appreciation he deserved in the states i agree um i uh yeah kind of adding on to that I, I really believe that like it was when I started discovering, um, that my idols like Billy Joel and Ben Folds and Jamie Cullen, and you know that was when I started to discover jazz as well. And so like guys like uh, Bill Evans and Red Garland and Errol Garner and um, Monk and people like that, uh, they were classically trained as well, mm-hmm. and then had you know, started to improvise and improvisation was like the key to me finding the love Mm. of my instrument again Mm. at that young age, because with classical, I love classical music. I still do. I've come around to, you know, really, really appreciating it again. But at the same time, um, you know, you can never play classical music better Mm. than, you know, the best, Mm -hmm. you know, the Arthur Rubensteins of the world. Glenn Goulds of the world. Um, and there's, you know, a certain bar that you can't exceed, Mm -hmm. um, that you can only sort of get close to Mm. the max there. But with improvisation, you know, you're always playing your best Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then there's no metric that can really say like, well, you did this better or worse. Right. Um, Right. Because there aren't, you know, notes on a sheet of paper that you're trying to, match um, right. so that was very freeing to me as a kid because i always felt like um because i always had good technique but not like the best technique and i would be in you know classical uh piano school um at vanderbilt with all these prodigy 
classical players. And I was like, well, I'm kind of at home learning these bin folds and Reliant K tunes than feel like and feeling like an imposter coming in and playing these recitals and trying to fumble my way through Liszt and Chopin and Rachmaninoff. And, and they were just playing circles around me. But, um, and I was like, I just know I'll never be that good. Mm -hmm. So what's the point of still Mm -hmm. doing this classical stuff? And it was, um, it was, you know, improvisation in general that really was like, Oh my God, this, I can make this instrument my own Mm -hmm. and have a personal connection, you know, Mm -hmm. with the music I'm playing, um, at all times. So that was your grade school and high school experience. You're in Nashville, but what brought you to ASU? Do you have family out here? Um, well I do. And I did, um, I have family actually up in Winslow. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of, they ran a big car dealership in Winslow. Um, tell me it's a, tell me it's a Ford dealership. It was cake Chevrolet, <laughs> uh, was the, was the name of it. So my, uh, my grandmother has seven siblings, um, on my mom's side. So I have a bunch of cousins, yeah. um, but they're, are largely our families all in the South, except for one of my grandmother's siblings, um, Wilma, who kind of married an Arizona guy yeah. and her whole clan is out here. Uh-huh. And they were primarily in Winslow. Now they've sort of dispersed into sure. Flagstaff, Flagstaff and Phoenix and everything. Um, so I do have family here, but the main reason I came to ASU, um, I was looking at a bunch of schools. I, was trying to decide whether I was going for music, um, or going for something else. Cause I, at the time I was sitting in on, um, a bunch of sessions in Nashville, uh, with players that I had met through my jazz teacher, um, in high school, um, Pat Coyle. And he hooked me up with a bunch of session keyboardists and, um, I would go and sit in on sessions just to sort of shadow and see what the, see what it was like and get, you know, some experience mm-hmm. checking that out and I would talk to them and kind of just be like what should I do you know I'm at this crossroads I'm definitely going to college do I go for music or do and um Dan Huff who's a producer he was my friend Elliot Huff's dad who's a monster drummer but he's the producer for Rascal Flats and Hunter Hayes and all of that stuff mm. he was the guitarist for Giant he was one of the most like prolific session guitarist at like age 18 or 19, like a true prodigy dude who's been in the industry for a long time. And he was like, look, man, don't go to school for music. Um, don't, he was like, learn or he was like, go to, go to college for something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And then keep music on the side, keep practicing, keep playing with people. Don't ever let it slip away. Keep, you know, working, at that and then if it works out it'll work out but then study something you're passionate about that's not music to carry you so the story goes is sponsored by santan brewing company i love santan i love their craft beers hello moon juice they have award-winning spirits they have an incredible rye whiskey it's one of my top three rye whiskeys of all time Not only that, they serve incredible food at their pubs. They have a location in downtown Chandler, Arizona, and, which is awesome for me, they have a location in Terminal 3 of Sky Harbor Airport. Every time I fly, I'm in and out of Terminal 3, I stop by Santan, and I got to get... 
I gotta get my moon juice on. You understand it. But I'm here to tell you about a brand new event and catering space called Santan Gardens. Now, it's located at 495 East Warner Road in Chandler, Arizona. Santan Gardens is an indoor-outdoor venue created specifically to be an entertainment oasis. Okay, so you can use this space for a private event. It the capacity is about 150 people in a safe and socially distanced space. It's great for a wedding or a corporate event, but they're also planning and programming their own events, which I'm stoked on. As a musician, like we need more venues in the valley. At the end of March, they're gonna do a couple nights of comedy. In April, they want to start a monthly event that showcases a local band. They want to bring tribute bands in. It's going to, like, I'm stoked to see this space. As a musician, as a fan of music, I'm ready for Santan Gardens. I think we all are. Go to SantanBrewing.com for more information. And as soon as the events start to come up, they're going to start posting about it. I'm going to start posting about it because I'm going to be going. Anyway, I want to thank Santan Brewing Company for sponsoring So The Story Goes. Can't wait for this new venue, Santan Gardens. I will see you there. Did he give a reason for that advice? Basically, he was like, if you end up putting all your eggs in that basket, um, you there's a possibility that you, you know, it doesn't work out for you playing wise. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be teaching for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then he was like, are, if you're okay with that, or if that's something you, that excites you, then yeah, do it. But he was like, do you want to teach music? Right. And I just honestly was like, I don't. Right. And he was like, great, don't go to college for music. Huh. Um, and so that, you know, and I had other players that were like, no, you know, if you go to the right school, like totally, yeah, study music. Cause you'll be with all these. Um, but for some reason that advice really stuck with me yeah. and I like canceled all of my auditions Whoa. for music school and everything. And then, um, kind of applied to a bunch of different schools. Didn't have ASU on my radar at all. Um, was kind of considering going to St. Andrews in Scotland, um, Belmont and Nashville or Middlebury up in Vermont. Yeah. I know Middlebury well. Yeah. Um, and so those were my three that I already applied and gotten into. And, um, I was kind of deciding between, then we got a letter from ASU that was like, Hey, what's up? Like, if you come here, you'll get a full ride, get into the honors college, you know, you'll get in and it'll be free. Whoa. And my dad, I had like thrown, (laughs) started throwing away all of this college material. Um, and, my dad had like pulled this out of the trash and like circled the like, <laughs> like free yeah. um, thing and put it in front of me. And subtle. And yeah, because they were subtle. like, also, we'll fly you out for free to come tour. Okay. And he was like, Do you like, why don't we just like take a weekend trip yeah. if it's paid for? Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, whatever. That yeah. sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, dad and I. Uh, just flew out to ASU and I was expecting it to just be like, yeah, okay, this is cool. But like, yeah, I'm going to stay in Nashville or I'm going to, right. Um, but I ended up really digging it. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, thinking it was cool. Uh, just the desert aesthetic is so, you know, opposed to what I am used to growing up in mm-hmm. a tree canopy 
Um, and I really love the openness of the West and it was always, um, enticing for me. And so I was like, this could be my chance. I really wanted to go West, but the only college I applied to was Stanford and I didn't get in. So, (laughs) and yeah. So after that weekend I was like, Oh my God, I might do this. And I I talked to, so my passion other than music would be English literature. Uh Um, and that is what I was looking at for, um, that's why St. Andrews and Middlebury and sure. Um, but I was talking to a bunch of the, uh, professors in the English department. We were talking about, you know, famous Western authors, especially like Cormac McCarthy and people that I really dig. Um, Dennis Johnson and stuff. And, I was like, this program is actually really sick and it would be free and I wouldn't have to think about mm-hmm. either student debt or like being in debt to my parents if they helped me right. out with that. Right. You know, it would totally take all that away. And I was like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just do this. Yeah. Um, and That's just awesome. kind of took a leap and went to ASU. Yeah. Um, and what, I'm sorry, what year was this now? 2013. Okay. So yeah. not that long ago. No. Okay. Still, still a pretty... You're just a, a young boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the reason. Um, and then it wasn't till you know, in, in college, cause I was like still primarily a singer then. I mean, I, you know, piano was always my main instrument, but I really enjoyed singing the most. I was in an acapella group in mm-hmm. high school and then joined one in college. Yeah. And then that was kind of my way of meeting musicians Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. in college. But it wasn't until senior year that I started meeting the guys who were in the jazz program and started, um, the band with Laura. And then we started getting gigs around town and then started getting the money gigs. And I was like, right. Oh my God. Right. Oh, here we go. Right. I can support myself on this, right. you know, right as graduation of college is coming up and I'm like, do I go to grad school? Do I work at like a restaurant and right. try to keep doing the music thing? But then like all of a sudden, work just like hit the point where I was like, Oh, I can support myself on that right wow. before college ended. And I was like, Damn. well, staying here for a while, yeah. trying this out. So, yeah. so, so Palabrea is the, that's, yeah. that's the band that you started in college. Yes. Um, Laura and I were both in acapella groups and we were like, we got to stop doing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was for both of us. It was, you know, we do, I legitimately really enjoy singing. Acapella, yeah. But I did it too. But we, yeah. Um, but we were like, we gotta, you know, play the stuff we want to play. And like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a pianist. I'm not, a, right, right. um, I gotta do some of that stuff. So we, um, just decided junior year, we were like, let's start, you know, trying to make stuff happen. Let's start writing together and, you know, cool. try to meet some instrumentalists. Um, which we knew Laura was in the music program, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure as if you have her on here, she'll, uh, give you the whole rundown of her. Um, schooling thing but so she knew most of the music school mm-hmm. whereas I was in the, like the lib arts right sections and my the acapella groups were really my whole connection to anyone right musical um which there was a lot of talent in those groups mm-hmm. a lot of instrumentalists and, um, and, well. and it sounds like they were pulling not just from the music program but but anyone could audition and no yeah open, open call or whatever yeah and it was actually largely non-music school hmm. um students at least in my group um, it was a little different for the girls group. I think they had some um, more, a higher percentile of music majors in there, mm-hmm. but, um, for the most part, yeah, 
it was really chill. It was like my fraternity, which is a t- such a lame thing to say. But no, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's your crew. That's that's um, like that's your uh, those are your people. Yeah. You know, and they were legitimately great guys and great musicians. So it became yeah. my sort of music community there. But yeah. um, Laura and I met freshman year um, because of the acapella group stuff. But we had so we had like always been really tight and would play um, together all the time. I'd play for her to sing. We did a couple shows that she booked like at the rhythm room Mm. between sophomore and junior year of college. Um, and so, and we would have fun just playing covers and sure things like that. But it wasn't until senior year when we were like, let's like try to get something off the ground. Yeah. Um, and so so that's 2017 then. Yeah. Well, I think we started actually in the winter of 2016, like January, February. Uh Um, we originally, We've had a bunch of different names. Um, okay. We finally settled on Palabrea with the current iteration of the band in like 20, maybe early 2019. might have been mid-2018. Uh-huh. I honestly, yeah, all these years now are a jumble. Right, right. <laughs> Post-COVID. Um, but yeah, we were initially called um, Blacktop Chalk. Okay. Um, named after a song that our drummer at the time wrote. Um, and... Just like the idea of something sort of whimsical uh-huh. um, like that. And um, then we went through a bunch of different iterations with a band. Initially, we played more like piano rocky kind of stuff um, and more like Lake Street Dive-ish. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, yeah, that like whimsical pop. I was playing like acoustic piano patches on the keyboard mm-hmm. rather than the largely roads and whirly stuff I'm doing right. now right. that we've transitioned a little bit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was when that, that all started was that senior year. And that was sort of the key for Laura and I poking our heads into the the part of the music world where you actually get paid to play. Paid. Yeah. yeah. That's, and I noticed, did you, did you cut a record with Clark? Yeah. At Tempest? Um, actually we, um, got in because Connor, uh, sample mm-hmm. was a student of Clark's, um, at, at one point, um, and Joel Oros, who occasionally drummed for us as well, was a student of Clark's and they both were like, look, we know Clark and Clark loves students. He loves like people, you know, sort of like helping young kids out with their, yeah. um, with their recordings and stuff. So he'll, he'll record you for real cheap. And so Connor nice. talked to Clark and he was like, yeah, come on in. Um, Great. it'll be, you know, some crazy 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 low rate Mm -hmm. um and we basically went in and just basically played the songs live did a couple overdubs with like b3 organ on the song close and you know did a couple patch like fly-ins for you know some flubs but for the most part it was just kind of recorded live yeah and then because we didn't even though the rate was so cheap, we also we still didn't have the money to like actually <laughs> like pay for a long amounts of time in the right, studio. Right. So that's what that little little EP that's on Spotify is. We just kind of went in and yep. had said, "Hey, Clark, put some nice microphones right in front of us." Well, and, he's got a couple of those lying then, around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, we'll just play our tunes, and then um, yeah. I had a very similar experience at Clark's. Yeah. Um, we, we we went in and um, cut live, and an L, and it became a record called the Voce Project. Um, but that that uh, his studio was just it's really conducive to that. You know, it just mm-hmm. feels like this is how we should do it here. Yeah, you know, 
Definitely. And I think he excels at that mm-hmm. is like setting everybody up to where you play it once through and that it sounds golden. Yeah. Like even just, just coming straight in through the mixer. Right. Um, so yeah. And that was a, that was a really cool experience just to, you know, talk to him and hear his stories yeah. and, and see how he approached the role of producer, which is really cool because I think one of the marks of a great producer is being able to speak everyone's language because mm-hmm. everyone has a different way of talking about music. Mm-hmm. Um, and even within the band, like me, Connor, Laura, Owen, all have different ways of saying what we want right. <laughs> musically or things like that. And Clark is really great at hearing your language and then knowing exactly what you mean, mm-hmm. even though like some other people might take a second to be like, wait, okay. So you mean you want this here? You right. mean we're going to the end of the verse and you want like to hit these notes. Right. Um, like he just hears and immediately knows what you're talking about. It's yeah. an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, from years of experience. Right. Tell. Um, but yeah, and he was great. He really took a, um, he was super complimentary and took a liking to Laura for sure for her. I mean, cause she's absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah. But, um, he was really, really kind. We gave him the check at the end and he was like, Oh, this is too much money. And we were like, uh. it's really not. <laughs> it's like, um, and he was like, like, you know, I like you guys like yeah. too much. This is like, no, 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 this is way too much. And we were wow. like, take it Clark. And yeah. he, was like, tell you what, I'll take this, but let me pay for the mastering. Oh wow! And so he paid for the for Nathan James oh, um, yeah. to master it, which Great. was super kind. Super I mean, he's sweet. just a an incredible dude. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really good experience. Yeah, was that the first time you guys had been in a studio together? Yeah, um, I I would say Laura and I have been sort of historically lackadaisical about the music thing. We just enjoy playing it. Yeah. And then, and then we'll play a gig and people will be like, Oh my God, where can we like get your music and where can we get your merch? And we're like, Oh God. Yeah. I guess that's, some, <laughs> that's something we should probably do at some point. Uh, <laughs> we're yeah. really, really just uninspired by that process. Right. And so we never get any of it done. Well, that's um, a whole nother set of skills and exactly time which suck and, and energy. We, and- we are just, so not fueled by um we would love for someone to come in and be like hey pay me this amount this is what <laughs> we'll we're like doing figure them, we'll right. do this all right um but we're trying to be better about that we're um we're about two-thirds of the way done with um our second well our first like real album i'd say cool um it's gonna be uh more produced less of a live thing and mm-hmm. more put together the way is that we want it. also at Clark's or no, actually we're, um, doing it ourselves. Um, <laughs> and Owen Ma, our bassist, yeah. who is an actual real life, um, genius. Um, he's, uh, actually a PhD in electrical engineering. Oh God. Um, just got his PhD, um, last year Damn. and he's, you know, a full-time electrical engineer, but, and bass is also his like third instrument. Really? He was a classical pianist and um, wow. a drummer and a saxophonist uh, even before he picked up bass. Damn. Um, but he's a fantastic <laughs> bass player, yeah. but also a really genius producer. Oh, great. Um, and he's got a little home, you know, sure. studio set up. But 
some really expensive stuff, um, which is great. You know, he's got the Apollo interface and things that I don't know anything about, but yeah. it sounds really good. And Owen's an actual, he's a genius. Um, and w- you know, I lay down a bunch of key stuff, but a lot of the key stuff on the, um, that'll be on the record. Some of the accent stuff is all Owen hmm. too. He's got a really good ear for those little things that elevate a production. Yeah. Um, cool and can't wait to hear it yeah i'm really psyched on how well they've turned out and like we recorded connor's drums um at connor's house and just like padded in a little room um and we were like we'll see how this works if we need to go into a studio to right. like get better drums they sound great awesome. whatever owen did with his mic setup and stuff yeah it's bizarre so we're just like just because of how honestly good it's turned out so far we've been like well let's just like finish it out yeah um that's exciting solo. so yeah it's also cheaper because right owen <laughs> does right. it out of passion rather right. than a paycheck which is um great need, but he's it's good to have a couple of those guys in the band yeah you know what i mean totally and super owen, smart just down to make music yeah he's <laughs> seriously one of the most one of the smartest most talented people wow. um that i know laura and i are very lucky we yeah. came across him. Yeah. We actually, I met him um, in an urban, it was called Urban Dance Ensemble um, in college. It was this elective class that my friend Felix Herbst, who's a violinist um, who now lives in Boston, um, but he was in, Felix was really into um, sort of the marriage of music and dance and uh, like electronic music and mm. improvisation stuff. He does violin stuff over dj music okay um and this was a class uh led by samuel pina maybe you've met him i don't Um, doesn't ring a bell he's really big in the in the um art scene and arts education scene i think he's working at the in the pop music program at asu now oh okay but he and um this uh hip-hop dancer the he's the vice president of rock steady crew or it was in new york uh why not his name's uh tony um, and they ran this thing where it was a bunch of dance students. Why not Tony? I just got yes. that. Okay. Yeah. It took me that's a second. His, his, uh, name his tag. Uh, the, they would get a bunch of dance students and then, um, largely music students, but also anyone could kind of take the class. Um, and it would be like one DJ, like running beats on Ableton or something like that. And then usually like a drummer, a bassist, and whoever they could find, you know, a couple of violinists, keys, mm. whoever was taking the class at the time. And then it would be this improvisational workshop thing um, where the dancers would dance. And we sort of do almost like improv games, but um, music and dance related where the mm. dancers would dance and we would sort of try to interpret their dancing yeah. or we would play something and the dancers would interpret us. And then there would cool. be other frameworks for that. Anyway, Felix recommended that I do it. And it was definitely something that I loved. Yeah. Um, and... Owen actually happened to be, um, I don't even think he had the class on his schedule, but he would just show up on Wednesdays and jam. Um, he'd bring his bass and, um, we were kind of in the process of trying to X out the basis that we had uh-huh, in our group uh-huh. at the time. And, um, I met Owen there and heard his playing and I was like, what are you doing on Sunday nights? Right. We have a regular gig. Yeah. Will you please come play with us? And then he came and um, started playing every Sunday. Um, and we were making terrible money for that gig, but 
Where was it? At the Clarendon. (laughs) 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 We had every every Sunday on the rooftop, and I think we made, uh, God, $200 total Mm -hmm. for a four-piece band. So it was like 50 bucks a person for three hours. And a couple margaritas and... Yeah, but exactly. You're happy, but you're happy, you know, to have the work and to yeah. And we were young, and it right. was cool. I mean, it was on the rooftop, so we could it's have beautiful. friends out. Yeah. yeah. So we even when we started making more money, we were like, we kept that gig for a while just because it was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how Owen joined, it. and he's been. I mean, gosh, a huge part of our sound. Yeah. Now, and just the, one of the best people I know. That's awesome. So this was a tune um, Laura actually came with uh, fully written um, pretty much for the most part. Um, she had the verse and chorus down um, and initially actually she and I were talking about um, uh, doing it as just a solo uh, thing for her. Um, she often works with a producer named uh, Devin Cortola, who is excellent as well. Um, and she has some exciting things in the works that I'll let her tell you about. Cool. Um, when you have her on. Um, I like exciting things. Yeah. Um, they sound amazing. Um, and I am privileged to be on a little bit of it. Nice. Um, but she initially uh, went to Devin with it and kind of got a mix down of the... Um, of the song together, but then, um, we had a couple band gigs coming up and so we sort of developed a little arrangement, um, of it with the band and, um, Owen found this really cool thing to do with his delay pedal on his bass, um, timing it so that it, uh, kind of matched the dotted eighth of, um, the six, eight groove, um, which kind of developed into this nice uh this nice feel uh for the whole song and we started really digging it in this um format and Mm -hmm. so decided to make it a palabrea song Mm -hmm. um 
and I think it turned out really well. Um, and then we had a sort of recording session, um, at Laura's parents' place. Owen brought all his equipment and set up and, um, we were trying to figure out how to start the song. Um, and I was just like, what if I, you know, play this sort of, um, like through a the Nord's rotary mm-hmm. function, an acoustic piano through like a Leslie sounding mm-hmm. emulator, um, and just kind of bullshit a little classical sounding intro, mm-hmm. um, and I just played through this thing like one time, um, so it's not perfect, <laughs> but it sounds pretty cool. And Owen was like, yep, that's it. And he added some, you know, wizardry on it to give it a little bit more like, like a vinyl kind Mm -hmm. of sound Mm -hmm. to it. Sort of like a coughing Victrola Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, sound for that intro. And then it comes in with his bass Mm -hmm. hit. Um, I think it sounds really nice. It's one of my favorite little segments of the new album. And it's not fully even mixed or mastered or anything. This is raw just um, track this is stuff, but special access. Yes. This is a sneak preview. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm super psyched about it. Yeah. And you know, so, and I know we were just kind of discussing on the, on the patio, um, some of the challenges of, of not going into a studio to cut a record, mm-hmm. you know, at, you, we're working now with four busy schedules totally. and, and it can take a little longer than anticipated, yeah. you know, Cause yeah, like I was saying, Laura, Connor and I are full-time gigging musicians. So, I mean, five to six nights a week, usually we're working. Um, and then Owen, who's the, you know, being pretty much playing the role of mastermind, um, for this whole thing works, um, you know, pretty regular hours Monday through Friday, which is generally when Laura, Connor and I are free. (laughs) Um, So making, uh, so Owen pretty pretty much has to be there for right. for it to happen, um, but our free times uh, don't coalesce yeah. um, always. So basically, we just try to try to make things happen when we can. Um, and away have pieced pieced together little by little, and, and you know it was halted a little bit because I was in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a setup for a long time, right? Because um, my stuff was in storage, um, and I. Um, and with all of my life stuff going on, it was hard to, you know, put anything down and feel sure. good about it. Sure. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's just been a, we, you know, we've learned to just sort of take it as it comes and not be too, ah, we have to get this done. Right. Um, right. It'll, it'll happen when it happens. Granted right now we're starting to have the, get the snowball rolling Yeah, in the sense of like, all right let's build some momentum and get this thing done. So you can, can kind of see the finish line a little yeah, bit. So we can, we just sort of like, gosh, I just want this to be out in the world so I can stop thinking about it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, the world is waiting, patiently yeah. waiting. No stress though. Yeah. All, all three of our avid listeners are, are absolutely biting their fingernails. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm really psyched for it. Yeah. Well, I, from what I heard, uh, it sounds great. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the, the finished product. Yeah. It's always exciting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I'm, well, I've never g- given birth to a child before. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say that it wouldn't, couldn't happen, but there is great catharsis in releasing a song. 
Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's one of the greatest feelings. Cause even, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Even with that EP that we, you know, we didn't have a lot of time in the studio and it was basically live takes. Right. And then we even didn't do that much post-production. We were kind of like, eh, it's fine. Right. It doesn't sound exact. Like the song surface doesn't sound anything like how we play it live uh-huh. now. Right. And not how we would record it now. And so it's like, I don't even know what this is, <laughs> but, um, but regardless, it's still nice to have it out yeah. in the world. Yeah. Even when you're like, yeah, it is what it is. It's right. just kind of us playing the tunes live. It's right. still really nice to, for it to exist somewhere. Yeah. Um, in, you know, some form or another. Yeah. Um, well, and as we were talking about this podcast, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a, um, it's a documentation of what it was at that particular moment. Yeah, totally. You know? And that's cool. Cause you can look back and you know, you can see how, how, how it, how it's evolved. Yeah. And, um, it's worth something regardless, right. if anything, as just a marker of time. Right. Um, even like no matter how you feel about the art or whatever. And I am really proud of that EP, but it's, it is really good as like, a you know a placeholder for a time as right. well right as, time capsule that's what even, i was trying to yeah think of, you know totally yeah even just for us you know if, if right. not for anybody else if everyone stopped listening to it um you know just right. for me to be able to put it back on and be like wow you know right it, it's like an old it's like a smell right. you know that brings you back to your middle school days or whatever it right. really puts me back in that place it's a nice thing to have selfishly right right <laughs> just for me um you've, you've had quite a busy last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel comfortable chatting about any of it? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, as, as my close friends will know, and a good portion of the music community, um, it's been, been through the ringer yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, and not even, you know, COVID, also, yeah. obviously, <laughs> uh, every you know that was the dark backdrop right, to, the, exactly. to the tragedy yeah. that was playing. Out. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you just told me a little bit of what you went through, and I and you don't have to get you can get as specific or as as generic yeah. as you want. But I, I guess as a as a writer, I'm wondering how some of those experiences has it affected you creatively. Mm you know, Mm -hmm. or if you're seeing it manifest in a way. Yeah. I, um, well, I guess I'll sort of lay out what I went through, (laughs) you know, and then, and then address the creativity aspect. Cause that's a good question. Um, because before, even before any of this, I've always felt kind of creatively stunted. Mm -hmm. Like I have a problem bringing, ideas to life from conception to completion. Hmm. Um, I'm a much better editor or a consultant Mm -hmm. of like, um, and that's why Laura and I work really well together, I think, because Mm -hmm. she is definitely a, like a priori, you know, conception creative. Mm -hmm. Like she sees a blank canvas and imagine things onto it. Mm -hmm. I work best creatively when there's some sort of framework, there's some sort of idea and some sort of goal and then I, my creativity takes and very variates on a theme, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Laura and I work really well together cause she can pull something out of thin air right. and then take it to me and right. say, what do we do with this? Right. And, and then, you massage and that, it a little bit. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I think my skills are best found, mm-hmm. um, is 
is sort of saying like, oh, this is an amazing idea. What if we did this to it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've I've tried to stop beating myself up for not being able to, you know, pull something out of the ether mm-hmm. um, creatively, creatively and still be proud of things that I, you know, still still feel ownership of things that I've feel like I've just added to mm-hmm. rather than birthed. Right. Um, right. But, um, all that wraps up into this year, um, when, um, yeah, just, a a real whirlwind of yeah. stuff. Um, I, yeah, obviously COVID hits, I, you know, gigs completely drop off the face of the earth. And just to put this in perspective, like what was your schedule pre COVID? I was gigging, you know, five or six nights a week, sometimes, yeah. you know, 10 days in a row. I had a yeah. very, very full schedule. I was doing that Mastro's gig. Right, um, right. You know, four nights a week and then filling up the rest of the nights of the week right. usually. It was pretty rare that I had a day off. Oh, man. Which was great. It was also burning me out. Sure. Um, totally. And um, especially as, you know, in 2018, I would say, is when it started getting really, really bad. Um, I'm an alcoholic. And it was getting to the point of no return Mm. in 2018 and 2019. um, It was starting to ruin me mentally and financially. (laughs) So despite all of the work and burning out, I was also hemorrhaging money. um, And I was dealing with car problems and all kinds of stuff. Um, So things were not going well. I was um, drinking a bottle of liquor a night, basically, um, for a long time. And hiding it from my closest friends um, and my girlfriend. And it was just like not a good situation. Um, And then on top of all that, boom, COVID hits. Um, And then, you know, ditch the gigs, drink even more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I ended up getting a job too early because we weren't sure how self-employed unemployment would work or if that was going to be a thing. So I kind of panic. got a job and what was that job um i was doing software testing Mm -hmm. like qa software testing Mm -hmm. um i actually worked on halo infinite um that just came out yeah (laughs) which was a really cool job to get um but it paid basically az minimum wage and it was 40 hours a week um and i was still on my parents health insurance because i was um 25 at the time so i didn't need the benefits that it Right. offered or anything like right, that. Right, um, right. So I was making much less than my friends were making who had, you know, waited to Do see the unemployment. the unemployment kicked in. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so that was like a huge mental mind fuck yeah. because I was like, Oh my God, if I had just sat on my ass and <laughs> drank, I would be making <laughs> like 300 more dollars a week than I make at this job. That's slowly right. killing me. I'm working from home. Um, yeah. very lonely. Yeah. yeah. Um, then in October, my dad gets diagnosed with liver, liver cancer. Um, and I just have a breakdown. Um, yeah. and I'm like, I've got to go home yeah. like there. I'm not working. I'm not gigging here. Like I, there's no reason for me. Like I have to go home and hang out with my dad. I haven't been home, you know, for longer than a month, maybe, um, since 2013. Wow. Um, except for the summer of 2015, I went home for two months, but, um, so yeah, moved home. Uh, dad's cancer was very accelerated and he passed on January 9th, um, wow. of this year. 
which was just horrible. I mean, he was like kind of the axis on which my world turned, you know? Um, and it was, uh, a huge blow to the family. We have a very tight knit family and, um, and dad was one of truly one of the best people I knew period. I mean, no one could say any wrong about him. Yeah. Um, and so that was just, you know, unfair and terrible. And, you know, um, I just, yeah, kind of blew up. Yeah. Then yeah, I was like delivering pizzas in Nashville. No <laughs> for shit. Money. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was truly, truly horrible. Um, and my alcoholism just, you know, I tried to get sober on my own, uh, but it was not working. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, would go for seven days, uh, and you know, my mind would be, you know, absolutely at its wits end. Um, I was contemplating suicide mm. stuff. I ended up going to a psych ward for mm. a week, um, mm. cause my suicidal thoughts were getting so advanced. Um, and then got out of the psych ward, kept drinking mm. heavily. Um, and basically ended with me in a, my car in my parents' neighborhood. Um, one morning cops knocking on the window, um, with me with like cans of alcohol just mm-hmm. strewn about yeah. the car. And they were like, you know, they were able to talk to my mom and they were like, yo, um, like I kind of gave them my story and everything and, uh, you know, three things going for me there. I'm white. I was in a nice neighborhood in a suburb of Nashville and, and they could talk to my mom. Um, Mm. and they were like, we have everything to give you a DUI right Mm. now. We should like, you know, we have literally everything here. Your keys are still in the ignition. Oh my God. Um, and, uh, they were like, but it seems like you need help more than you need punishment. So, Mm. Yeah, wow. get help. And, wow. you know, I was like, here we go. Going to rehab. Yeah. So did that for a month and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, finally rid myself of this demonic burden that I've had. Yeah. Um, sort of in, in secrecy for right. a long time. Right. I couldn't be honest with people because um, it was, it had such a hold on me for yeah. years it has, but I've just been really good about hiding it right um and you know being very very cautious about managing the addiction so that Mm. no one was i mean people people got wind a little bit and would be a little concerned but i would assuage their fears and Mm -hmm. you know continue Mm. to um feed the addiction but i finally felt free of it um, great after at june um after that month in rehab which was huge for me honestly it turned from I don't get to drink alcohol anymore for the rest of my life, which is how I always viewed sobriety to now. It's like, I don't have to drink anymore. Um, and at the freedom that that brings when that finally clicks in your brain, you know, you can, I've heard, you know, you can say that phrase forever. Um, you know, and people would, people that were sober would tell me that when I was in addiction and I was like, that doesn't mean like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you still don't get to drink any alcohol, but Once that becomes true for you, it, it was like so freeing for mm. me because it had been, I mean, it was ruining my life. Mm. I was going to die. I had, you know, driven drunk thousands of times. Right. Um, right. Just absolutely insane shit. It's a yeah. disease and I had it, yeah. have it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that was a huge turning point in my year. 
Um, and then I broke my back five days (laughs) of rehab, (laughs) jumping off a cliff into water. It's Um, like just when you, you know, like everything is like finally free. Yeah. I'm going to go jump off this rock into the water. And I'm like, as you, as you said, adrenaline is going to be my new thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It worked out really well. You know, what works out really well when you call the Engstrom team for all of your real estate needs. We're talking about Becky, Carrie and Kate here. This is the mother daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. They will help you out. Are you trying to buy a home? What are you doing? Trying to sell your home? Give them a call. They're going to walk you through the process. They'll tell you all the ins, the outs, the lefts, the rights, all of the details. They've been doing this for a very long time. And you need to trust the professionals. They helped me find my first home. Give them a call. 480-250-1936. They will walk you through this process. Whatever the process is, buying, selling, researching. Talk to Becky, Kate, and Carrie. They're going to get you straight. Um, so basically, I still haven't even begun to reap the true rewards of sobriety because i'm like jen i've always been sort of an athletic person and that kind of went away as i drank more heavily i haven't even been able able to enjoy that right because uh, my back still is you know kind of in chronic pain yeah Uh, i'm still getting better little by little but oh my um, god anyway all of that to wrap around to creativity right i am feeling legitimately creative for the first time in years that's in years um because I mean, one thing alcoholism does is is ramps your anxiety up to the max, right. absolutely. And that I have a big issue with um, how I'm perceived or how my work is perceived. Um, I think it's a big reason of why I don't, you know, do the social media thing a lot. Mm. Um, I it's hard for me to make something without thinking about others looking at the thing I've made, mm. um, and that hinders me making anything um in general for the most part and being self-critical having self-doubts yeah um genuinely not thinking anything i bring into the world is worth anything until someone tells me it is Uh um so and we'll deal i've dealt with that early on with the band stuff is like i'd write a line and be like this is so dumb but like i guess it works in the progression and then like Huh. And then we'd play it at a few shows and I'd start to like it a little bit more. And then someone was like, that thing that happens in that one song, that's so sick. And then my brain goes, you're right. That is a great thing that I have made. <laughs> and then like, that's what makes it uh, worthwhile is I have to like, wait, it's such bullshit. I have to yeah. wait for someone to validate my creativity before I deem it worthwhile. Wow. Um, and that's sort of always been the case and something I still fight against, but that has gone away. A little bit now that I just feel like I'm living more honestly, uh, now that I'm not, I don't have this huge burden, um, of alcoholism on me that I'm trying to hide and that's like totally, um, manipulating my thoughts, Uh um, in a way I'm thinking more clearly and I feel more in tune with music in general. That's awesome. Um, I've told people this, but I had sort of fallen in love with the musician lifestyle, Mm. um, and fallen out of love with music because of my toxic relationship with booze. Right. And I, you know, on the gigs, I would be so bored playing the music because I was just like, I want to get to that break 
so I can refill my drink oh. um, and smoke a cigarette. And right. like, and I, I really enjoyed being a musician, but only because it gave me the license to drink while I worked. Right. Um, right. And right. that was a really cool thing, you know, and it is a cool thing. And it's a really <laughs> cool thing for people that are actually responsible with their drinking. Right. Um, that's really sick that you can drink on the gig. But for me, it was an excuse that I used to bolster uh, an addiction. Right. Um, now, um, how, well, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just, mm-hmm. you're still working in that environment and, you know, booze, as you say, is kind of every place we play offers it. Yep. Typically every place you play, we'll give it to you for free. Yep. So is that, uh, like, how are you existing in this space that where it used to be an issue how is it to, to, to be a part of that environment now? Um, it's at, at once it is easier than I expected and harder than I expected. Hmm. Um, in others, I, I think what was big for me is in rehab, I had like a true like epiphany. There was a moment, um, like in the first four or five days when I was in detox. Um, and when I had that, epiphany of like you don't have to drink anymore like Mm -hmm. this is you can be free of this burden you don't have to have your life dictated by this liquid that you know has you by the balls Mm -hmm. um and once that clicked and by the time i got out of rehab i knew something in me i knew i could be around it i knew Mm -hmm. and and so a a big thing also was that the love of music started coming back Mm -hmm. Like I started being able to emotionally connect to music in a way that I I hadn't been able to in the last three years and, you know, connect to it in a way that I had in high school and college and that had slipped away as, as my main emotional outlet became drinking. Right. Um, and so that catharsis one was really important to me. And I knew that once I take that first sip of a drink, that beauty is going away uh-huh. <laughs> again right. because I right. had seen it happen in the past. Right. Um, and, um, on top of that, I was just so, I don't know. My mind was just so clear. I was like, you play, I mean, I was playing piano in rehab and stuff like that. Mm. There's, it was Nashville rehab, which was great. So they had a music program and a grand piano I could play. Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> And I was like, you, like you would, I don't know. You'd just be throwing it away to, mm-hmm. to, um, to drink. It's still hard, um, when you're there and especially like, you know, I'll be playing gigs solo and someone will come up and be like, Hey, you're that, the pianist who like loves his whiskey. Like mm-hmm. here, I got you one and set it up on the Mm-hmm. table and i have to like and you don't want to you know offend right you know the client you want to be the cool piano man right. who's like you know drinking and smoking and you know right. cheersing with all the patrons um so i have to wait until their backs turned and then find a way to dump the right <laughs> dump right. the liquor a little bit and but you know and i'll like or i'll hug a friend at a jam and they'll smell like whiskey which is a smell i love and i don't you know, I will have those physical, visceral, like, mm-hmm. holy shit. And mm-hmm. my body will be like, remember how good that felt? Holy, oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. go, mm-hmm. you could probably like grab one and no one will know. The bartender doesn't know you're sober. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Hmm. And so my mind will still, it'll still jump to those things. But, Hmm. um, largely I've found a, I don't know, some mental state of Mm -hmm. being okay with, um, with not drinking. Um, and the real test actually, I was on a kick just a week and a half ago. This is the first time this has happened. And, um, it was just like a corporate event or whatever. Um, and, uh, someone, uh, gave me a bottle, um, of a drink and I thought it was the drink on the bottle, um, which was like, I can't remember what it was like a ginger ale or something. And they're like, here, want some of this? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Like, that'd be fine. And I tip it back and it's, uh, Jameson. Oh God. And I, my whole body <laughs> was like, ah, it just kind of the fumes like touched uh-huh. my lips. Uh-huh. And I was just like, Oh, nope, I'm okay. But I was like fucked up for like an hour. Really? Um, just cause my body was like, you could have like had a sip, you uh-huh. could have, and it would have been fine. Like right. you could have written it off as an accident if anyone even like oh my knew. God. Yeah. And my body, and then the cravings all kicked in. So it was like, I wow. mean, it's a wild world to be in, Yeah, you know, in all of the recovery stuff, people have been like, I don't know how you're going to do that, man. Right. Um, like being be around world. it. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but you know, fuck so far so good i guess good. <laughs> well i mean six months that's awesome man congratulations Wednesday. that's Thanks, not man. an easy fucking thing i can't i can't really imagine yeah <laughs> you know just yeah well and i and i it is the the awesome silver lining uh is that you're feeling the feeling the juices flowing again yeah you know and you have a great band around you that can help see all this shit through yeah you know? totally that's and they were huge. They're so supportive. Yeah. Too. Like, I don't know. It's nice working with a group of people that truly care about you. Yeah. You know, like I was talking to Laura throughout rehab and stuff, and mm-hmm. she's been with me like every step of the way. Awesome. Um, Owen would send me nice texts when I was going through that and with my, all my dad stuff. Yeah. Uh, just the other night at Cock and Tails, I got like a soda water and lime. Um, and sat it down, which looks like a drink. It's a good thing to like, you know, right. Make it look like you're drinking a gin and tonic. But Connor was like, Hey man, what you drinking? Uh. <laughs> and I was like, don't worry. Soda water and lime. He was like, Oh, thank God. I thought I was about to <laughs> have, an have to have a conversation. <laughs> um, and, but it's, so it's just nice to know, you know, all three of them yeah. have my back and care yeah. about me and, and look out for me. So yeah. I'm really lucky in that regard. That's awesome. They're absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, damn. Uh, anything else you, you want to share? I mean, you got this new record that will be out soon-ish. Yeah. We're shooting for, I would think, February okay. or so. Oh, shit. So we're not far at all. I don't think so. I mean, that's, you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> shoot for the moon, you land right, a little right, right, right. So who knows? Uh, but that is the goal in mm-hmm. the next few months to have that ironed out. And are you guys thinking of doing like a proper CD release or? Yeah, we're going to do, try to do the whole nine yards. We're actually tonight. I think we're going to talk about, you know, the stuff that Laura and I despise, right. but we had a, Laura and I had a kind of a brainstorming session a couple weeks ago. Um, and we're going to, you know, do a photo shoot and right. get some merch. Finally, we've right. literally never had <laughs> merch or anything that a band is supposed to have. Yeah. Um, and start trying to think about, um, a CD release show, you know, at Valley bar or Crescent or, um, somewhere fun. Awesome. Um, and doing it right. So yeah. that'll be, 
That'll be cool. That'll be um, great. And otherwise, you're just you're you're full out right now with with playing. You yeah, know, working and so grateful to yeah. be working. It's amazing. I props to Jerry Rulon Maxwell. Actually, I want to shout him out yeah, if, shout if he out. listens. Yeah. And all. hi, Jerry. <laughs> uh, but in February or March of this year, um, when I was going through the shit, um, Jerry called and was like, "Hey, I know." Well, he called to you know give consolation about my dad and stuff like that. But he also was like, Hey, just want to know what you're thinking, um, about coming back to Phoenix or whatever. Um, because I, you know, we're going to have gigs and, uh, I, you know, I'll schedule you if you know when you're going to be back. And I was mm-hmm. like, tell you what, Jerry, like you just throw stuff at me. And if there's enough, I'll move back. Mm-hmm. Um, and to his credit, he just kept throwing me, like weddings and Good. stuff like that in the fall to the point where I was like that even with just that, that's enough for yeah. me to feel comfortable making the move and getting back to like working full time here. Cause I was working in Nashville, yeah. but it's working in town. Gigging is a lot harder um, just because you make no money. Right. Like all the money is either in studio work, which I did a little bit of um, and touring mm-hmm. um, in terms of like actual making a living stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, you know, a grind. And I really wanted to be back here. One, so I could get back with a band and you know actually get to work on this album and, mm-hmm. and gig full time. But Jerry was a huge part of like making that happen because he was like, hell yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Here's all this work. Mm-hmm. Even though I was like, I don't know if there's enough, right. I'll come. Right. And he sent me all that and I was like, boom, done. Um, and then I moved out here in September with only really devil's gigs and some like duo stuff with Laura and Palabrea stuff mm-hmm. booked. And then once I was back, it just felt like I was back home again and everyone was like, here's work. And yeah. then my schedule just exploded. Like yeah. everyone's has this Great. fall, which has been amazing. And awesome. the, I just like, can't believe how awesome the Phoenix music community is. Agreed. Um, and like, it was cool being in like a quote unquote music town like Nashville for a while. And I'm trying to do a split year thing where maybe I'll go back for the summer from like May to September mm-hmm. and then be here for, you know, the good old gigging season. Right. Um, but like we have something really special here. There's some sort of camaraderie and community that, um, I don't see in a lot of places. Um, yeah, agreed. And I don't know, there's a lot of love in the community, a lot of brotherhood and I really love it. And yeah. it's one of the reasons I really wanted to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love this town. And I really love the people that play music in it. Um, yeah, man. It's some, some beautiful stuff. We're lucky. Yeah. Very lucky to have this scene. Well, all good news, Dan. Yeah. You know, looking up. up and up. You know, um, I appreciate you, you coming out and taking the time and sharing your story and, yeah. and, uh, before you leave, you have to share some of your uh, lower back exercises with yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, you had that that oh scare before God. the tour. It was, it's it's you know that yeah. it's a painful. I'm getting older, right? But it's a it's every day. It's a it's a it's a very physical, painful reminder of <laughs> of your mortality. Of your mortality. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes we need that though. You know, it keeps you grounded. I guess so. I was when I was laying on the couch recovering from my back break i was like you know what i'm just happy i can like use my legs again and that's all i really care about it's nice like i'm gonna die one day but like i'm also gonna be better from this back injury one day and i'll be you know more grateful about the fact that i can walk upright right right 
Yeah. Um, so we all need to wake up with a bit of back pain. Steadily <laughs> <laughs> gets a little better. Right. Appreciate you, Dan. Thank you for coming by. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure. So the story goes.